This is American Deep Dive, and I am your host, Sean Kane. Today's date is May 18th, 2020. Uh, it is 8.17 p.m., and it is a Monday night. So it has been a while since I've spoken to you. Um, I've taken a personal break from this. Um, it's just been a lot, and it's one of with coronavirus and everything going on in the world right now, you see a lot of people that think they have all the answers. And um, I'm one of those rare people that will admit when I don't. Um, and I do like to gather information before I speak on it. So I thought I really needed to take a step back and really look at everything Um and when I started this, I did not expect this. I did not expect to be talking about a pandemic uh, for the foreseeable future. But, you know, when you do a news show of any kind, uh, it's the kind of stuff that could happen. Uh, the world continues to happen as the deep dive uh, is still near its infancy. Um, but we're going strong. Um, I'm still going to make episodes. Um, I, I want to go back to doing it like I was, uh, but I just needed a break. And I thank you all for uh, tuning in and listening to me today, tuning in and listening to me today, I should say. So uh, since we last spoke, uh, there have been some good news. This is probably based on you know my research I did. Uh, the notes I've taken uh, for this podcast uh, that I do before every podcast uh, as I prepare, um, there are a lot of there, there's a lot more good news than at any time since I started talking to you. So that is um, that's obviously wonderful because we all want to get back to our normal lives already. <laughs> so uh, with the bad news first, um, as of Today at 8.19 p.m., uh, 1,544,185 cases of COVID-19 exist in the United States. Uh, 352,934 people have recovered. And 91,717 of our fellow Americans have died from coronavirus. Um, that's obviously sombering, um, devastating. And, um, you know, your heart just breaks when you read a number that high. Um, I don't think anybody expected that. Well, except experts, <laughs> but us ordinary people, we didn't expect that, um, especially so quick. So thoughts and prayers are with everybody who's affected by it. Um, and you know, as I said, uh, when I did when I started these deep dives, when I started the show, I just wanted to do deep dives on topics. And you know, it's 2020; it's an election year. I really thought I'd be talking about the presidential election, but life is just so unpredictable. Uh, but as I said, this is going to be a, an upbeat podcast for the most part, and I want to get into the good things. So the positive news with coronavirus today. Uh, May, May 18th was the lowest number of reported deaths in the United States of COVID-19 since March 30th. Uh, that number is at 786. Um, and also a very good sign 
is we're seeing both an increase in the amount of testing and a decrease in the amount of reported cases. So we're getting more testing out. We're getting more tests out. Um, and we're seeing a lower amount of people getting infected. Um, and these signs are particularly good in states that have already had their peaks, um, states that have been hit the hardest. Uh, New York, obviously, was the epicenter of the world with this. Uh, they reached their peak about a month back. Same thing with New Jersey. Same thing with uh, Pennsylvania. Uh and this comes with the news uh, last week that the Trump administration, you know, take everything they could say with a grain of salt, but they said that they're expecting to do 10 million tests in the month of June. And by August and September, they're expecting to do 30 to 40 million tests per month. Um, and those are the kind of numbers we need to begin reopening. We need that increase in numbers. Um so all this news is extremely positive, and I'm I'm so sick of sitting in the house all the time. Uh, I know you are too, uh, you know. But um, it's important not to get ahead of ourselves, and I truly believe we could get by this. And it's gonna it could be quicker than we think, at least um, until the fall, uh, where the possibility you know, exists that we could see a uh, second wave, but I really think we could be through the worst of the first wave. I think we are through the worst of the first wave and we won't see a resurgence if we handle this right. Now I'm going to get into uh, my deep dive today is on what I think our reopening plan should be and what should be included in that. Uh, so I'm going to get into that later. Uh, but I am going to talk to you, um, a little bit before that about uh, Texas, which reopened uh, way too early and saw their biggest jump in new cases just a few days ago. You know, and and I know uh, conservatives listening to this will probably bring up Georgia um, as a state that, you know, hasn't seen that big increase. Um, and, you know, it's obviously really, really good news that they haven't. Uh, but it's still a reckless way to go about doing this, especially when you have a state that has uh, highly populated areas like Texas does. Uh, Houston, uh, people don't realize it's the third biggest city in the country. So, and not surprisingly, Harris County, where Houston is, saw, you know, they saw most of that jump. So we have to be very, very careful with how we proceed. Um, but I really believe with the right testing capacity and people still social distancing as much as possible in public, uh, wearing masks, um, continuing to wash their hands um, like you always should, but especially in a time like this, um, you know, that becomes even uh, more key to getting us back to normal. Um, and also another good piece of news with coronavirus, uh, California and New York uh, announced that in, well, California announced uh, within the first uh, part of June, they're going to allow sports to reopen, uh, professional sports. And uh, uh, Governor Cuomo in New York announced today as well that they're going to be starting uh, sports as soon as possible. Um, so that's 
awesome news. I think this country really needs sports. Uh, it's an escape for so many people. Uh, it's, you know, when we talk about what normal is, everybody has a different definition of what normal is. And some things that we consider normal, uh, they're going to take longer to get back. Um, I, I, I know things like concerts and professional sport, going to professional sporting events and college sporting events that they may take a while. Uh, but just having a baseball game or a basketball game on TV, that's a big part of people's normal life. So I think it's paramount that as quickly as we can, we could get that back, back up and we could get sports back up and running. Um, and also in related, um, coronavirus news, um, the house of representatives on Friday passed the heroes act, um, which was an act that, which was a bill that Nancy Pelosi and her allies crafted. Uh, I'm going to read you uh, exactly what's in the bill. This is from CNBC quote, the bill includes a provision for another round of stimulus checks or economic impact payments of up to $6,000 per household. They would be structured similarly to the first round of checks. Individuals earning up to $75,000 would get a one-time $1,200 check, and couples earning up to $150,000 would be eligible for $2,400. So that's uh, I'm well before I get into what I think about that I'm going to read you exact uh what else is in the bill um again still from CNBC um also included in the bill uh, is extending the extra $600 uh weekly federal $600 uh weekly federal unemployment benefit through uh January 2021 so that uh increase in unemployment that would be valid through the end of the year uh, gig workers, independent contractors, part-time workers, and the self-employed will also be able to take advantage of the unemployment benefits through March 2021. Uh, the HEROES Act extends the pause through September 2021 for student loans and expands it all t- and expands uh, the assistance uh, to all federal student loans, including federal Perkins loans and some FFEL program and H-E-A-L loans uh, not owned by the Department of Education. Uh, So they're expanding uh, the student loan assistance a little bit. Uh, But it also goes further. Uh, It cancels up to $10,000 to some federal and private loan holders. Uh, So that's a a decent amount that will be uh, canceled uh, for both federal and private loans, uh, which is uh, rare to see. Uh, and then for mortgages and housing, uh, it provides $100 billion for rental assistance. Uh, they'd be dispersed through an existing nationwide grant rental assistance program that would verify a tenant's inability to pay rent and give vouchers to cover the cost of rent and utilities. It would extend the ban on evictions for non-payment for a year following its enactment date. Uh, the bill also uh, provides $75 billion for a, home, for a homeowner's assistance fund to prevent mortgage defaults and property foreclosures. Uh, the bill would establish a $200 billion HEROES fund to provide hazard pay 
to some essential workers. The bill would come in the form of $13 per hour pay premium on top of their regular pay for all hours worked in essential industries through the end of 2020, up to $25,000 for essential workers earning less than $200,000 per year, and up to $5,000 for workers uh, earning more than $200,000 per year. Uh, the biggest part of the bill includes $875 billion for state and local governments, 70, and then another $75 billion for testing, and $100 billion additionally to hospitals. Um, I do So getting into um, the bill and its ch- chance of becoming law, um, it, it does not have much of a chance of becoming law. And I'm okay with the House passing a bill that doesn't have a chance to become law. So why is that? Well, the House is controlled by Democrats, and the Senate and the White House both controlled by Republicans. So when you're trying to get a messaging bill done, you're trying to get in front of the American people and say, this is what Democrats are for, and you lay out exactly what you want. You don't really throw any kind of uh, anything that looks like a concession to Republicans in the bill. You say exactly what you want. You push it to the furthest extreme, and then you pass it because you have the numbers. And all of these things and more are all popular with the American people. So why am I a little um, perplexed by by this bill? Uh, because really, I agree with almost everything in the bill. I, I don't think any of it's that bad of an idea. But the problem is it doesn't go far, far enough when you're doing a messaging bill. When you're passing a bill that really isn't going to pass and you know it's not going to pass, go all the way on it. Don't start compromising before the negotiations begin. Because even Nancy Pelosi admitted this is a start. So why not start by trying to get everything you want instead of already um, conceding up front? So what else would I want? So uh, Congresswoman Pramila Giapal wrote the uh, Paycheck Guarantee Act, and that would that would guarantee 100% of a worker's wage up to $90,000. So what that would do is it would cut the unemployment roll down, and it would guarantee these workers their wages. Now, it would cost over $600 billion, uh, but keep in mind this is a $3 trillion bill, So you probably wouldn't need as much for unemployment assistance, and you'll be able to fill it in (laughs) with the um, with the Paycheck Guarantee Act, and it's and that was one of the reasons that was given um, by Congressman uh, Jim Clyburn, who is a uh, leading Democrat. He said, "Oh well, you know, we don't have the money for that." Okay, as I said, $3 trillion for already spending, so why don't we have it? And we spent 
billion dollars bailing out airlines, but we can't, we just can't come up with, we just can't come up with, uh, you know, a guarantee to an employer, an employee, an unemployed employee's paycheck, paycheck. It just, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's not supposed to make sense because it's not true. We can find that money. We find money for uh, for a lot of dumb things, but we can't we can't find anything for this. And when the when the government when private industry when private industries aren't spending money and people aren't spending money, it is incumbent on the government to spend it. That's sort of an old, uh, it's called Keynesian economics. It's kind of an old Keynesian approach. It's what Franklin Roosevelt really believed in, that you need the government to inject money into the economy when you're going through a recession like this. And when you look outside and 16% of people are unemployed, yes, that's exactly when you need the government to step in. And really, that those unemployment numbers, the, the number is about 22%. Uh, but unemployment's often undercounted. Uh, the other thing that I would also have are I would have stimulus checks that are non reoccur that that are reoccurring, um, and also a lot more money. So Nancy Pelosi wants a $1,200 one-time check. Again, you see, if you're really going for a messaging bill, what you do is you say, hey, Democrats want to guarantee paychecks. We also want to give you $2,000 for the next few months. Now, would that pass? No. But then you're not negotiating from a point of a concession before you even walk in, before you even walk in the door with Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and Steve Mnuchin and whoever, you can't already have a concession because Donald Trump could just say, no, we already did that. Whereas if you say, we're going to give each American $2,000 for the next few months, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell might come to you with a deal. They might say, okay, how about $1,600? Or they, they might start off with their extreme too. They might say 1200 for one month, which is Nancy Pelosi's same exact position. It's her position. So then Pelosi could say, no, how about $1,600 for the next two months? And then McConnell might say, how about $1,500? And then you get a deal. Like, this is the way it works. You present the strongest version of your case. And then he presents his. And then you meet in the middle. You don't just give everything away up front and look, start looking for crumbs. Only to have Mitch McConnell, he might just say, no, we already gave that out. Same thing with the Paycheck Guarantee Act. I'm not saying everything in there, like maybe it wouldn't be up to 90000 Maybe 
you know, but you would be able to get on TV and say, this is what the Democrats want to do. The Democrats want to guarantee you 100% of your wage if you make 90000 less or less a year. People would be very much, people would be very much in favor of that. And you put Mitch McConnell on the hot seat. You make Mitch McConnell say, um, no, we don't agree with giving people who can't work money. And maybe he won't do 90000 but maybe he'll do eighty. Maybe he'll do seventy-five. That's the way this is supposed to work. We can't do the political work for them. We can't start with a concession. So uh, with Donald Trump, his approval rating is around where it's always been through his presidency. It's in the low 40s. Um, You know, it did jump up there with the start of coronavirus, uh, came back down, though. Uh, Joe Biden is still edging him out at the polls. Um, It's interesting because a lot of the people I talk to are pretty convinced Donald Trump's going to win re-election. But I firmly believe if the election were held today, Joe Biden would win. Um, it's no slam dunk because the Democrats are, are uh, bunglers of epic proportions uh, when it comes to politics. And Joe Biden has lost his fastball. Um, and that's usually not a, it's usually not conducive for winning an election. But at a time like this, if people are looking at this as a referendum on Donald Trump's presidency, especially when it comes to coronavirus, um, I think Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble. So we'll just have to see how that all works out. I also wanted to talk about our, our Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. So over the weekend, Pompeo made some news. Uh, He fired uh, one of the inspectors general. Uh, And inspectors general, uh, they act as watchdogs for the government to make sure people are, um, people in power acting correctly and not doing anything shady. So from CNN, um, the inspector general uh, was, that was fired was probing whether Mike Pompeo made a staffer perform a variety of personal errands, including walking his dog. So you might be saying, all right, well, does that really require federal investigation? And I kind of agree with you. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, But (laughs) now we see the big reason why. Elliot Engel, uh, who's a Democrat um, on the House Intel Committee, said Monday that the ousted inspector general had almost finished an investigation into Pompeo's decision to fast track an eight billion dollars eight billion dollar arm deal arms deal to Saudi Arabia. Later on Monday, a congressional aide confirmed that Pompeo had refused to sit for an interview with the inspector general's office as part of that investigation. Okay, so Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State for Barack Obama. Could you imagine if Hillary Clinton was under an investigation and she fired the inspector general who was investigating her? 
I, I just want you all, regardless of your political background, I want you all to think about that, what the reaction would be. It, it it would be it would be all over Fox News, uh, the mainstream media who loves to call it a, who you know is so afraid of offending Republicans and they're so desperate to call everything even that they would be having um, conspiracy theorists on. They'd be saying that Hill Fox would be saying it's the biggest crime in American history. Uh, Donald Trump would be firing up his Twitter account and going after. It would it would be bananas, and everybody who knows anything knows that. But this is an administration that the rules just don't they don't matter. They don't apply to them. And Democrats should be doing what Republicans would be doing. They should be demanding Mike Pompeo be fired or resign. I am not positive if he could impeach his Secretary of State, but if he can, they should impeach him. You can't fire people who are investigating you. <laughs> I'll tell you. So um, that also some more lawlessness from our great administration. Uh, the charges against Michael Flynn for lying to the FBI have been dropped by the Department of Justice. Uh, Flynn pled guilty to lying to the FBI um, back in 2017. Uh, and then the Attorney General uh, Bill Barr is arguing that it, it was never that the lies were never material to any investigation. Uh, that's complete nonsense. Uh, the Mueller report, which I may do a deep dive on at some point, it resulted in a number of people who are now in prison from it. Uh, the Trump campaign it established that the Trump campaign at least attempted multiple times to to collude with the Russian government through people like Roger Stone. And Flynn was deeply tied, separately from some of the uh, stuff that involved the Trump campaign. He was deeply tied to Turkey and Russia and failed to, for, to register as a foreign agent. The Obama administration, with this Obamagate, which is complete nonsense, um, I'm not even going to really give it the time of day because it doesn't deserve it because it's a crazy conspiracy theory. They tried to inform the Trump transition team not to hire Michael Flynn. There was nothing shady about what the Obama administration did on this. They were up front with Donald Trump and his team. Michael Flynn has a lot of shady ties. And sure enough, they fire him after a month because he partly because he was so dirty, and partly because he he lied to uh, Mike Pence. Um, and for the Justice Department to do this, this is completely unprecedented. And Bill Barr should be swift, should be impeached tomorrow. You can't just go in and get your buddy off because you felt like he was being treated unfairly. That's not the way the justice system is supposed to work. If you lie to the FBI, anybody listening out there who doesn't work for Donald Trump, 
if you lie to the FBI, you're going to jail. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But, you know, if you're a crony of Donald Trump, eh, don't worry about it. Trump will just say it's unfair. <laughs> now, the judge in this case uh, still wants the case to proceed. There is a possibility that it still proceeds. Um, but the Justice Department is supposed to be, they're supposed to be the ones that are, you know, bringing these charges forth. And Flynn pled guilty. Flynn pled guilty. Now, of course, they're trying to say he was entrapped, and he, he was not. Again, I, I, I'll probably do at some point in time a whole deep dive. It'll probably take two parts on the Mueller probe. Um, but he wasn't, um, and there's a lot more to this uh, that I'll get to at another time, but... When you, when you look at that, it's almost deep dive time. And as I said, this deep dive, it's going to be more positive than you're used to from me. So it's coming up now. So if you've been listening to my podcast uh, since the beginning, I started this back in March. Um, you've heard me speak ex talk extensively about coronavirus. Uh, and when I started this, well, before I started it, I, I had the idea for a while that I want to do a political podcast. Um, and politics had is my area of semi-expertise. Um, but infectious disease is not. Uh, I am not a science person. I am not anything close to a, um, I, I don't claim to be, I don't claim to be beat you know, end all the, um, any kind of know-it-all. Um, but one of the things that I've really, um, have come to believe through, through life is to trust people who study things for a living, to defer to people who have more extensive knowledge than you. Um, and that's what I've done. And, you know, people, the, the way politics works, it really touches every area of your life. And I, I talk to people all the time that says, yeah, you know, I, I don't do politics. Uh, I'm just not that interested in it. Um, you know, they're all the same, yada, yada, yada. But anytime they say, I'm not really interested in politics. I say, politics is interested in you. And yes, politics has met the coronavirus. And with this deadly disease, you know, it's wreaked havoc on the whole world, through the whole world. Uh, politics hasn't stopped. Uh, you still watch politicians doing political things on TV uh, Donald Trump and most Republican leaders um, are really want the economy to reopen, and most Democratic leaders are firmly against it and think, you know, we should have a more cautious approach. So who's right? Who's wrong? 
and what should actually happen. Well, you know, really looking into this and listening to what people who are real experts in this, not politicians with an agenda, but real experts in this have to say, what I believe has the first component to getting this right is access to testing. We need to know who has coronavirus so they can be treated and so they can be quarantined. And we also need a widespread contact tracing program. Um, unfortunately, the federal government has been largely absent on both the testing and the contact tracing front. So it's going to have to be up to good state governments to be able to carry this out. So what is contact tracing? So from, uh, I'm quoting WebMD here, um, but, but stuff like this, they're usually pretty good. Um, from WebMD, quote, each person who's been infected is asked about their contacts, and then those contacts are approached. So these people should, the people who have had contact with them should be tested, and they should, and if there are no tests available, they should at least be in quarantine. And tracing will also help to employ people who have just been laid off. So what usually happens is people are contacted usually by phone. They're told, hey, so-and-so contracted coronavirus. Now, there are certain legal with legal uh, obstacles to this, but you could do it um, uh, with respect to HIPAA. Uh, but there, there are ways to be able to conduct contact tracing. And after that, the person, as I said, would either go into quarantine or go get tested themselves. And that's how we keep track of this. And then if that person has it, then we'll have to, then the contact tracers will have to reach out to all the people they've had contact with. So this is vitally important because it gets the people quarantined that need to be quarantined. And in order for any reopening to be successful, we need testing numbers like we've had, and we need more contact tracing. And contact, the other great thing about contact tracing is it's going to help employ people who have just been laid off because we need contact tracers to do this. Uh, so we need to hire a lot more. And the other thing that needs to be emphasized is social distancing. Now, this is something, now, and this will be when we uh, do reopen. I still believe that um, we have to keep you know, the six feet away, I still think that's a good idea. Even when we are reopened, um, you know, restaurants have to be careful with how they see people. Uh, capacity sizes have to be taken into account. Things like that, so then we do not see another big spike. I still think we have to do this slowly. Uh, things like concerts shouldn't be taking place on the 4th of July. <laughs> um, but I do think there is a way to do this in a smart, responsible way. Also, I think states that, and 
areas and counties, cities that were hotspots, they have to be looking at reopening slower than others. So a state like Wyoming, who hasn't had that many cases, I'm okay with them, you know, almost completely reopening uh, by the beginning of June. I'm okay with that. With the social distancing protocols, uh, they still need, the, the, uh, you know, a good amount of tests. They still need to be doing contact tracing in those places because you could see a flare-up. We've seen flare-ups in meatpacking industry and meatpacking uh, plants. And then all those people who were at that meatpacking plant come in contact with a lot more people. So we still need all that to be in effect. Uh, so we can't have a one-size-fits-all approach for this. So as a country, when do I see us being able to reopen? Well, I mean, you've heard a lot from people who take this seriously that the um, that COVID determines the time frame and not us. And that's mostly true. Um, and as testing numbers increase and the number of new cases decrease, it's telling us, all right, we're getting closer and closer to being able to reopen. So I think as a country, most of the country should be reopened by about the middle of June. If testing numbers continue to increase, number of new cases continue to decrease, and we get effective contact tracing. Now, contact tracing is a bit of a work in progress, as is test, as are tests. But testing's getting better and better. We still need more and more. Um, but I really believe the beginning to the middle of June is a good time for the country to mostly be reopened. Um, now, you know, if states are just hitting their peak, that's a different story. Uh, but I really believe in a place like... Uh, here in Scranton, Pennsylvania, I think beginning to middle of June, I think that's about fair uh, because we hit our peak uh, last month. And the curve is flattening in areas that were once hot spots, but I still believe that cautious approach is necessary because we cannot just run back. And things like uh, if you work from home, if you're able to work from home, I think that should continue for the foreseeable future. I don't think, I still don't think we should be going and doing things that are unnecessary, but I still think you should be able to live life as much as you can. As I said, going to a restaurant and at that restaurant, having as much, I, I think it's on the restaurants to have as much distance from tables as possible. I don't think bars should be operating at full capacity. And people should respect boundaries between other people. You know, you don't need to go and hug Aunt Susan every time you see her at this point in time. Uh, we have to think about nursing homes. Nursing homes have been hit worse than pretty much anything. Uh, especially in here in Pennsylvania, it's almost 80% of deaths have come from nursing homes. That's a huge issue. I think, you know, part of the approach with that should be people that are entering the nursing homes should be tested as often as possible. Uh, people that are visiting, people that work there, 
because you, you can't be bringing that in. It It's wiping out whole swaths of people. Um, and they're, they're the most vulnerable to this. We have to keep that in mind. Um, as I said, I think hand washing and mask wearing, especially when indoors, uh, I still think that should be the norm. Uh, hand washing should always be the norm. <laughs> but still wearing masks, I, I think that's still a good idea. Uh, it's also important. I, I think the government should be clear about how to wear a mask. Because you see some of these people that they're putting the mask on. And they're putting their hand all over the front of it. It's it, you're defeating the purpose. <laughs> um, but I, I still think it's a better idea than not. It's important to remember that your mask protects other people, and their mask protects you. So it is still a good idea to wear the mask, and for other people to do it. Um, and, you know, we're going to have to see, you know, if these prediction, these projections about the number of tests um, that the Trump administration is predicting, uh, again, take what Donald Trump and his people say with a grain of salt, uh, but they, they tend to think that we're going to be up to 30 to 40 million by August and September. If that holds, then yeah, I think we could really get back to normal with the amount, with the proper amount of contact tracing. We can beat this. I truly believe it. It's it's this is the most positive I have been on this since the beginning. Since the beginning of this podcast. I really, really believe we're gonna get through this and it's gonna be quicker than we think. Now there could be a second wave in the fall. I don't know what the fall's gonna look like. Uh but for now, I really believe if we're smart about this, if we do if we keep doing the right thing. We're going to get through this, and it's going to be sooner than we think. I think most of the country could be back up and running by the middle of June. But we just have to keep the course. And if we do that, we're going to be golden. And who knows, by the fall, we might have a super effective treatment. You know, that, that's part of the issue right now is not only do we not have a vaccine, we don't have a treatment. We might even have a vaccine. But, you know, there are a lot of... Every smart scientist and epidemi, epi, epidemiologist in the world right now is working on... And vaccine expert, that they're all working on a drug to, you know, lower the mortality rate and all that. And I think it's very possible that we could have something good by the fall. <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump said he's taking hydroxychloroquine despite being uh, negative, uh, which doesn't make sense on a few accounts. Number one, why are you taking hydroxychloroquine if you don't have any, if you don't have malaria? Uh, it's been proven not to be effective for coronavirus and if you don't have coronavirus either then why are you taking it but long story short hydroxychloroquine has been proven not to work uh remdesivir uh reduced number has been shown to reduce the number of days that people have had 
that people have coronavirus, which is good, but that's just a start. So I really think by October, we could do this right. We're going to have the test as long as we could count on our great federal government. Uh, we're going to have effective testing capacity by then. We're going to have the tests ready as long as they're prepared for a second wave. We're going to have these contact tracers ready, and I think we'll be able to fight it better. So if this is handled right, if you and everybody everybody listening does your part, if you all do your part, I think we're going to get through this and your state government. So that's it. Um, I'm ending this podcast with a smile on my face, which is rare. Uh, but I really, really feel good about this, guys. All right. And that's all I have for you. So thank you for listening and stay tuned.